Hey, good morning. I am so thankful that you're on this on here with us today. I'm really looking forward to a time and a day when when everybody can come back and worship together. But for right now, I am thankful that you're joining us online. Please make sure you engage with prayer and and chat. We want to build community with you. We are meant to be together. We are in part 15 of 2 Corinthians, and we're getting close to the end. I think we're going to have one more message. I'm praying about that. There's only one chapter left. We're going to be in chapter 12 today. But I want to kind of give you a little background on where we're going, and we're going to talk about strength and weakness today. And this is one that I think has a real big impact on us. I hope that you take the time to to stay with us all the way through this because I think it can change how we view our lives and and what we focus on. In this time, remember, uh, Paul is dealing with false apostles. They've come in, they're they're these charismatic leaders that are great speakers, and they, they said that Paul was weak and they put him down because if you remember, Paul started the church, spent 18 months there, and then as Paul did, he, he went around and started churches. There were no, Churches didn't exist. It's not like today where there's a lot of different churches. They didn't exist. Paul was starting the first church in Corinth, and he got it there, and then he raised up leaders from that community, and they were pastoring the church, and Paul went on and started other churches. Well, Paul would write these letters and he would be their spiritual father and oversight. But these, what he called super apostles, would come in and, and they would sow false teachings. But they were really charismatic and there would be little elements of truth in it. And they were turning people's hearts against Paul. So that's kind of where this letter comes from and, and it's what's going on. So in this section, in chapter 12, Paul's doing what a lot of boasting or really kind of saying, I could boast about this, but I won't. That was common in the Greek culture. It was really common for those that were nobles in the Greek culture to sit around and talk about politics, to talk about religion. They believed in a lot of different religions. They were a polytheistic society, which means they believed in a lot of different gods. And so Paul would engage them in this type of debate. They were used to this type of debate. It sounds silly to us, but Paul would engage him in this type of debate. And, you know, I started thinking about this. It, it sounds kind of familiar to our, our, our culture today. They would debate about philosophy and politics and boast about their wi- wisdom and great learning. And we, we had the presidential debate this past week. I don't know if you watched it or if you didn't. Um, I, I'm just going to leave it alone. I'll be honest. I don't talk about politics from the pulpit but you can be the judge. But I think there were a lot of people that were really unhappy on both sides of the fence, that it was kind of an interesting debate. And so I, we're praying for our country. We want who God wants into office. And we want to see that Jesus would reign supreme in our country. I know it seems like we may not have any hope. That I hear it all the time that we wonder how did we get these two guys to be our best hope as president. And I want to tell you, whether you love what President Trump has done, I grew up in a time where you respected the president, even if you didn't like his policies, you talked about him with respect. 
I did. I, I, I grew up in a time with that. So it's really hard for me with social media and stuff when people just openly lambast our leaders when I believe the position needs to be respected. Whether I agree with policies, whether I agree with lifestyle or anything like that, I believe that, that the leadership, and, and it's biblical to be respected. I, and, and then you've got Joe Biden and, and people kind of do the same thing to him. And it's very disheartening to me where we're at as a country in that. And it just kind of reminded me about this. I wasn't planning on talking about it, but I want to say this as, as your pastor and if you're a guest, please, I hope you understand my heart on this. I'm not telling you to vote one way or the other. I refuse to. It's not my place to. But I'm going to tell you this. There is no person that we can elect in the office that's going to save our country. Jesus is the only hope that our country has. If the church would rise up and follow Christ the way the Bible has told us to, our culture would change and we would once again be a biblical culture. That's not going to change by who we elect in the office. Yes, policies change and, and certain things that, that happen can change because of who we elect in the office and it's an important position. We need to pray about it. We need to diligently seek God about who we vote for. But our hope is in Jesus. So I hope you get that. That was my little bit of political rambling for a second. But Paul in this culture in Corinth is in a place where they love to debate. They love to talk about philosophy. They love to go back and forth. And maybe you're a talk radio junkie or maybe you like to watch the different things in those debates. I personally am not a big fan of people just going back and forth at each other. I don't find it. Some people find it entertaining. Not my thing. But Paul is going to boast a bit, but he's going to flip the script on how he boasts and what's important about what he boasts in. Because these super apostles are boasting about how great they are as speakers. That they are the ones that are drawing people in. And you can think about different ministries and different times where it's centered around a dynamic personality, but not necessarily a biblical perspective. And that's where the false apostles come in. Remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, that, that Satan will put people in as sheep, there'll be fox in sheep's clothing, or wolves is actually what it says in sheep's clothing, because they come in and they say just enough about the truth, but really water it down and it's something really different than what Jesus told us to do and how he told us to live. And those were the false apostles, the false leaders. And we have to be very careful. We need to know scripture. And so Paul has been dealing with this and he could go through with all of his credentials. Paul was somebody that was a Jew of Jews. He was, man, he was so zealous that he was actually out persecuting Christians when after Christ had died and rose again, he was trying to stomp them out until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. You, you can kind of watch that interaction in Acts, but we don't have time to go into that today. So Paul's flipping the script. I want you to look at verses 1 through 7, the first part of 7, 7a. We're going to call it, it's kind of common to say A and B if you're going to split the verse. So I want you to look at 12 
verses 1 through 7. It says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. And I know, and if you're like me, I read this and I'm like, well, you kind of are boasting, but this was kind of the verbiage that was used in that day. This would be very commonplace to that Greek culture that was in Corinth. They would get this. They would understand this. this would, those that were scholars and leaders would understand what Paul was talking about. He had those credentials. Paul knew the culture. So I'm going to take just a minute. I'm going to give a little sidebar because this isn't really the topic of what we're going to talk about. But I've had this question brought up to me recently. Third heaven. What is that? Isn't that kind of weird or confusing? Maybe you've heard some different explanations. I want to give you an explanation because I've done some research and some commentaries in different places and got some answers that I was kind of like, ah, I don't know. But uh, some of you know that about a year and a half ago, we really pushed the Fire Bible. Now, it's not a different translation of the Bible. It's just the Fire Bible is written with commentary and notes from a Pentecostal point of view, um, and it's a great version. If you don't have the Fire Bible, it comes in uh, English Standard Version and it comes in King James. We've I use the English Standard Version when I use it, but in there I found a great explanation in the notes of Third Heaven. So I want you to hear this first. So the first heaven refers to the atmosphere of the earth where we live, terra firma. We're in this atmosphere, first heaven. Second heaven is the stars, the moon, the galaxy, everything that we can see in the heavens above us. And the third heaven will be beyond that, where God dwells, paradise. And so that's when he says, I was taken up to third heaven. So Paul, whether physically or spiritually in a vision, got to see a glimpse of heaven. Got to hear things that he can't even express to us, that he cannot tell us. So he didn't want to boast about that, but I just wanted to bring some clarity. I hope that kind of clears that up. I hope that makes sense to you. It made sense to me. I, first time I read Third Heavens, what's that? How many different heavens are there? You know, so it kind of gives you a little clarity. So you have the Earth's atmosphere. You have the heavens above, stars, moon, galaxy, to infinity and beyond, all that kind of stuff. Whether you're you know, Star Trek, Star Wars, Buzz Lightyear, whatever you want to use there. They're laughing at me behind the camera, by the way, which is kind of the point. So, whatever it is, and then the third heaven, where Christ dwells, paradise. So, I hope that helps. Now, I want to get back to Paul's boasting. Not about his accomplishment, accomplishments or credentials, but his weakness. 
That doesn't seem to make sense, does it? And he was already being criticized for being weak in person. Paul was not a strong communicator. He was not a strong speaker. He was somebody that was weak at those things. He was not an imposing figure. Where you've, you've seen those people that just seem to, when they walk in the room, they have charisma and they seem like they could sell you anything. Didn't matter what they were going to do, you were going to buy it when they were done. They just seemed to have that kind of personality. Well, that was kind of the opposite of Paul. And so, Paul came across as weak except for in his letters. Now, he's a great writer, and he gave us most of the theology that we have from the New Testament came out of his writings. He wrote most of the New Testament. But he said, you know what? I'm going to boast in my weakness. This seems strange. It just goes against our nature to boast about our weakness. But Paul wanted to shift the spotlight off of him and put it on the grace of God. So that's what I want you to see. We're going to continue in chapter 12. We're going to go to 7b. We're going to go there. If you know, when they put chapters and verses in the Bible, they really didn't take the time to look at if it actually made sense or not where they put them. And sometimes sentences and things get divided. So we're going to look at the second half of of verse 7. It says, So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the, res- and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Probably heard that verse quoted many times. For when I am weak, then I am strong. We don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. There's a lot of speculation from it. It could have been demonic attack. I mean, it says a messenger from Satan. It could have literally been maybe a demonic attack on his mind that would come and just just torment him. It could have been physical. Some people believe that he had really poor eyesight that it caused him that. He could be talking about his lack of ability to communicate well in person. I don't know. It could have been emotional struggles, but whatever it was, Paul begged three times for God to take it away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. God said no. This is where many people struggle in their theology. We think, and we've taken God and we've put him in this box, and we think that if we just beg God enough that he's going to say yes. And there are places you can look, and Jesus said, knock and keep knocking until God answers. But here's the thing, God answers. Paul prayed three times. He kept knocking, and each time God said, no, my grace is sufficient for you. Sometimes we keep knocking and we get frustrated because God doesn't answer the way we want Him to. Not that God doesn't answer. God always answers. And God sometimes will change that when it fits His will. But sometimes the answer is no. Sometimes the answer is 
You don't need to do that. That's not what's best for you. See, in our theology, do we believe that God loves us and has and wants what's best for us? And if the answer to that is yes, then if God doesn't give us what we want or answer our prayers the way that we want, why do we get mad at God? I know King David prayed for one of his sons. Now, it was the son that he had with Bathsheba, which was born out of sin. And, and God had kind of warned him that, that the child was not going to live. But David fasted and prayed while the child was ill. And he prayed and he prayed and he begged God for that child's life. And the child died. Then he got up and ate. And it confused his servants because they're like, well, why aren't you mourning? He's like, look, I just fasted and prayed. God said no. Now it's time to move on. He accepted it. Sometimes God says no. So Paul begged for this. Paul pleaded with God. And God said no. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love him. It doesn't mean anything like that. If God says no, it doesn't mean that he doesn't love you. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He says no because he does love you because maybe what you're praying for doesn't fit in his plan or might be detrimental to you in a way that you don't know. Man, I, I know I've, I, I've seen people pray and pray and pray over jobs and sometimes that job isn't what they needed. God has a different plan. God always has your best in mind. It just doesn't always line up with what we think. And so remember that God always has what's best for you. This is an area that the church in Acts understood, but we have a hard time telling people in our Western culture these things. We, we live in a culture that we like to tell people that God loves them, which is true, but we, we, we like to show all the good things. We want to be encouraging. We want to say, hey, you know what? If you live for God, everything's going to be rosy and perfect. You're going to have your two cars, your house, your dog, your, 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 well, your 2.5 kids, whatever that may be. And life is going to be perfect. You're going to get promotions. Everything's going to run well. But the truth is that we live in a broken world and things happen. And just because we follow God doesn't mean that we're immune to this world. Now God's blessings are upon us and God does bless us in inordinate ways because he wants what's best for us. And sometimes his blessings are financial, sometimes they're physical, but we're going to endure some hard things. God wants us to have an abundant life. God wants us to live in overflow. These are good things. Don't get me wrong. God wants good things for us. He wants to bless us. Those things happen when we live according to His will. He does bless us. But read the book of Acts. These men and women that served God 100% wholeheartedly without abandon ended up martyred, ended up beaten, ended up in prison, poor. They were spit upon, kicked upon. Did God not love them? No, He did. 
Jesus even told us that we would suffer on account of him. We don't have a great theology of suffering anymore. Look at the words in the Beatitudes. This is, if you remember the Beatitudes in the Gospels, Jesus gave this big message that we call the Beatitudes. It has this great wisdom in it. And here's an excerpt out of it. It's in Luke 6, 22 through 23. It says, What blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy, for a greater reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets in the same way. Man, put that on a bumper sticker. Isn't that like a great t-shirt? Leap for joy because the world hates you. Jesus was telling us, look, the world hated me. They're going to hate you. And when we're talking about the world, we're talking about those that follow Satan. And, and really, some people may not overtly follow Satan, but they, they want to live for themselves. They want their sinful life. And they get upset and they get angry when they're confronted with the Word of God because it goes against their lifestyle and they take it out on the believers and they take it out on the church and they get angry. And remember, that comes from the evil forces and Paul reminds us that we wrestle not with flesh and blood but with the principalities of this world. But they hate us and they drive people to hate us. We live in America where for generations, the Christian culture, it was founded on Christian principles. So being a Christian had a certain amount of ease to it. But there are places around the world where you can die for proclaiming the name of Christ, that you can be thrown in prison, that you can be thrown into jail and beaten and martyred for following Christ. We don't understand that. Truth of the matter is, if we're truly following Jesus, we're going to have difficult times. We're going to suffer, and we may even have some loss because of our commitment. I've known people to be overlooked in, in positions because of their stand for Christ, or to even be dismissed from jobs because they stand up for their faith. God's blessings upon them will be poured out, but they may suffer during that. We're not promised safety. We're promised that our needs will be met and that there will be great rewards when we get to heaven. It's a part of our culture that we've missed. No one is exempt. To believe that following Jesus is going to make everything go smoothly is a false hope. It's a false doctrine. It's, it's a false teaching. Yet there are churches today that preach that, that if you're following Jesus, man, everything's going to be good. It's going to be encouraging. And, and people go to church because they want to be encouraged in a message. And yes, we're going to encourage you in the Word of God, but we want you to know the truth. You may suffer. It may be difficult. It may be hard. It's going to be painful. No one is exempt. No one. I'm going to tell you, following Christ has been the best thing I've ever done. And I've got to experience things and do things I never dreamed about. 
I've got to travel, I've got to go some really cool places, I've got to do some really awesome things, all because of ministry. I've met some amazing people, but there's been a lot of hurt, there's been a lot of pain, there's been difficult times, there's been times when I can't pay my mortgage, there's been times when we've been hurting. If you know my wife, Pastor Jennifer, this year she's had COVID, she's broke, she's had a broken ankle, a broken foot, and a broken hand. On top of being sick, that's a difficult time. And she loves Jesus. Jesus loves her. It's not because she had some great sin in her life. It's the broken world that we live in. No one is exempt. So let me give you a couple things out of this. And that was just the introduction, believe it or not. No, I, I know the camera people just got freaked out. I, I told them it was long notes, but... I'm going to give you just two things, and these will go kind of quickly, actually. The first thing is strength and weakness. Strength and weakness. When we are weak, we have to put our trust in Jesus, and that's when we're at our strongest. When we are weak, that's when we put our trust in Jesus. Think about the major disasters that have happened throughout our world and especially in our country. And going back in just even to 9-11, which is one of the most significant things up until COVID that's happened in our country. And people turned back to God during that time. COVID hit. People turned to God. Our, I'll be honest, our numbers went way up on our online watching and people's comments, thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for doing that. Because when they're looking for hope, they turn to God. The unfortunate thing is I wish they turned to God throughout their daily lives and not just when everything falls out from under them. But that's what we do. When we are weak, we have to put our trust in Jesus. I know it doesn't make sense, but look at the words of Paul again. Look at verses 9 and 10. He said, each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Look, when we go through and endure these difficulties, when we are weak in certain areas, yet God uses us, it speaks to those that watch us because they say, oh, I can see God working in you. I can see what God's doing in your life. Look, I love to share testimonies of when God comes through with financial blessing in the midst of financial hardship because there's things... Look, there was a time in our lives when we were about to lose everything that God produced thousands of dollars to take care of a need that we had, that we thought we were going to lose everything. And I can tell you one thing, it was not because of anything that we did other than pray and give it to God and trust in Him. We were weak. There was nothing that we could do to change our situation. We tried. We did things. The best thing we could do was to get on our face before God and pray. And God supplied the need. When we are weak, God shows His strength. When we're suffering, when we're going through hard times, 
it focuses us. I mean, you have two choices when you're going through a difficult time. You can either walk away from God and just say, okay, God's got nothing for me. I've got to go somewhere else. Or you can turn to Jesus and trust Him. To lean hard into Him. Unfortunately, in this culture where everything's been given to us or everything seems to come easy to us in a lot of ways that, you know, that your way right away mentality that when God doesn't answer things the way we want Him to, we say, well, God doesn't love us. I'm going to go do something else. Or just give up. When things are difficult, we've got to lean into Jesus and not get caught up in stress and anxiety. God told Paul, my grace is all you need. God's grace upon us will give us strength that we need to get through any situation. Remember I told you I love the Fire Bible. They had a great note on this. And I want to read it to you. It says it's, it is a heavenly strength given to those who depend on God and call on Him for help. The grace will be with faithful Christians who allow their personal weaknesses and difficulties, not sinful traits or actions, to become a means of honoring Christ. The greater our weakness and sufferings for Christ, the more grace God will give, us, will give to accomplish His purpose. So the depth of our weakness and suffering will be the amount of strength that God gives us. So if you put an equal sign in the middle of that, they will be equal on both sides. Actually, God will even go a little further and bless us sometimes even more. We have to learn to trust God. The more we trust and lean into Him, the more grace and strength He will pour into us. And what's really cool about that, He does that because the people that are watching us, the people that know that we struggle, will be encouraged or even come to Christ because they see us go through the struggle yet be faithful and they see how God comes through. That's why when you read these stories in the Old Testament, and man, I'm thinking of Gideon, where Gideon was told to rescue the people from the Midianites who were coming against him. And God said he had like 20,000 people or maybe it was 10,000. He narrowed it down to 300 people and they didn't even lift a sword. God fought the battle for them. But they were faithful to go and do as God told them to. So how do we do this? How do we live in such a way that God's grace becomes our strength? That's the second part of this. I told you it'd be much quicker that my introduction was big, but we're rolling downhill fast now. Second thing is we have to shift our focus. We have to shift our focus. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but here's the thing. This is a hard part for us. So many things come into our life, distract us, and pull us away from focusing on Him. So many things. We deal with it. We're bombarded. The more we strive after Him, the more that focus is going to be bombarded. The more Satan's going to try and pull us away. The more he's going to speak lies into our life. The more he's going to distract us. The more he's going to try and get us off course. But remember, where we are weak, God is strong. So Romans 12, 2 says this. this is one of my favorite passages. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. 
We have to allow God to change the way we think. That's why reading scripture, spending time in, in, around other believers, hearing messages, it, it, it begins to change the way we think. It's repetition. The more we put God into us, the more He's going to come out of us. We can't expect this to be quick. If we have spent decades having all these negative things poured into us and all these different things, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit to break those bonds and we've got to pour the right things into our lives. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. How do people in the world deal with suffering? I'll tell you how they deal with it. Anger. Maybe they turn to drinking to drown out and forget drugs. Illicit sexual relationships, pornography, anything they can do to dull the pain. Anything they can do to distract themselves from the pain. Instead of leaning into Him. Instead of leaning into Jesus. And see, as we learn the Word of God, as we learn to be comforted and and trusting God, as we begin to change the way we think... God gives us a peace in the midst of those troubles. His grace gives us strength in the midst of hard times. I've seen this in my personal life. I've been a Christian now probably close to 30 years. But when I was in high school, I was a jerk. I lived for myself. And when things didn't go my way, it could tumble my world. I think back to high school times and you got a couple that that are so madly in love with each other and then they break up and it seems like the world ends. Their universe comes crashing down. That's what I think of when I think of that. We have to shift our focus off of ourselves and put it firmly on Him. I'm not talking about ignoring the things around us. I'm not talking about any of that. It's more like having the ability to deal with them because of God's grace and strength through Jesus. And sometimes... Sometimes that grace and strength that He extends to us are the people that He surrounds us with. That maybe they're more than we handle on our own and God puts people around us like He did Moses. Remember, if you read, if you read in the Old Testament, you can Google this passage where Aaron holds up Moses' arms. They're in this battle. And as long as Moses' arms were held up, they were winning the battle. But man, if you're standing there for hours, your arms get tired. And I I know Aaron, and I forget who else it was, held up Moses' arms. He couldn't do it on his own. He had to have people holding up his arms so that he could get through that battle. God gave us that illustration to show us that we're not meant to do this on our own. And sometimes God's grace and strength is through others that He puts around us to help us through those things. I want to take a couple minutes just to indulge me for just a few seconds as I close this out today. I want to read to you an excerpt from a book that Francis Chan wrote that's called Letters to the Church. It's a challenging book for church leaders, really. But it's for those of us in the church, especially those that have been Christians for a while, that kind of challenge the way we think about ministry and church and how we follow God. And there's a chapter on suffering in there. And I love what Francis Chan wrote. I just finished reading the book a few weeks ago. I want you to hear this, and, and, I, and I hope that you, you take a minute. It's a little bit a, a lengthy passage. Um, but I, I want you to hear this. It says this, Francis Chan said this, 
part of the reason we have created a culture of non-committal Christianity that avoids suffering is that we don't treasure Him enough. And by Him, He means Jesus. We want Jesus, but there are limits to what we will sacrifice for Him. We want Him, but there's lot, there are lots of things we want in life. The good news is placed on par with or even below other forms of good news. I'm getting married. I'm having a child. The Giants won the World Series. He's from San Francisco. But the Giants won the World Series. God became flesh, was crucified for our sins, rose from the grave, and, return, and is returning to judge the world. Other kinds of good news stir our emotion, stir more emotion than the gospel. Think how insulting that kind of attitude must be to God. Let me read that again. Other kinds of good news stir more emotion than the gospel. Think of how insulting that kind of attitude must be to God. We're going into election time, man. Some people are getting into heated debates. They're getting angry. Some of them are Christians, but they have shouted more about their candidate than they ever have about Jesus or their favorite sports team or how awesome their child is. And I, I think it's good to be proud of your child, but sometimes we worship our kids. You can put this in whatever perspective you want. Let me finish this real quick. Here, this is still Francis Chan. I got, I got distracted for a minute. We need to take time to dwell and meditate on the impossibility of the cross. The almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God we, who spoke the universe into being sent his son to die a criminal's death so that we could be with him forever. We get to dwell with him forever. I don't care how many times you've heard it. If that doesn't cause you to fall on your face in worship, there's something wrong. Think about that for a minute. We get more excited that our favorite sports team wins the World Series or the Stanley Cup, which just happened for Tampa Bay Lightning. I remember going to a Tampa Bay Lightning game when their first season when I was in college in, Tam in, in Lakeland, Florida. But some people are going to be more excited about Tampa Bay winning the Stanley Cup than they do about their relationship with Jesus. It's just become commonplace. We don't really, we, we put other things above it. If we didn't put other things above it, our churches would be full on a Sunday morning because everybody that checks a box and says they're Christian, only about maybe 40 or 50 percent of them actually show up on a Sunday. I think that percentage is going to go down even more that would say they read their Bible on a consistent basis or pray. Man, I'm concerned for the church. Now, when I say that, I mean the church, those people that profess to know Jesus, but there's no depth to relationship. And so when hard times come, it crumbles away. Look at the parable of the sower sometime. I don't have time to go into that today, but it kind of speaks to that. We have to keep our focus on Jesus and living for Him. When we get that in the right perspective, when we put Jesus first in our lives, suffering, hard times, all those things will fall into place in the right perspective. That's why Paul was boasting in his weakness. Look, James talks about this. James 1, 2 and 4, 2 through 4 says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles 
of any kind come your way, consider an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. And I love that passage. Because we know that hard things are going to come, but the more we lean into Jesus, the more we're going to grow, the more we're going to endure. This life is fleeting. Eternity is forever. This life, pain, suffering, all these things are fleeting. Eternity is forever. Let's get our focus on Jesus. The key to dealing with suffering is to put our focus and attention on Him, to pursue Him first and foremost. Actually, I didn't even read this out of that same passage. And just before that passage, I wrote in Francis Chan's book, he talked about blinders on a horse that we just focus on Him and don't get distracted by all the things that are coming at us. Because when we put our focus on Jesus, there's nothing this world can do to us because our eternity is secure in Him. So then we'll learn what it means when He says, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. That's why sometimes when God stirs your heart to do a ministry and you're like, Oh, I'm not equipped to do that ministry. And God says, You know what? That's precisely why I called you because you have to lean on me to do this. I want to work through you. I want people to see that it's because of me that this is happening. You are my vessel. Let me work through you. I am a terrible public speaker. I am terrible at all of these things. But God's grace allows me to do this. And hopefully it makes sense to you. Hopefully it's clear to you. Because I was not a great student. But God, through His Word, through His divine knowledge and His divine wisdom, through the power of the Holy Spirit, gives me the opportunity to speak truth to you. Truth that I would not be able to do on my own outside of Him. These are His words. As we wrap up today, I want to challenge you to shift your focus to Jesus, not all the things around you, but to truly fall in love with Him again. I'm going to close with this scripture. And then we're going to pray. Philippians 3, 8, 9, Paul again says, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with Him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with Him depends on faith. Look, Paul said, I count everything else worthless next to knowing Christ. If everything else in your life today was to go away, it would hurt, it'd be painful, you'd be sorrowful. But would you be okay with God? Job had that happen. Lost everything in one day. Family, except for his wife who told him to curse God and die. But everything else he lost in one day. Yet he didn't curse God. We can learn a lot from that. Man, I don't want to lose my, I love my kids, I love my family. 
If I were to lose everything, it would hurt. I would be in sorrow. I'd mourn. I'd cry out. But I want to believe that I would still hold on to Jesus. That He would be my strength and my anchor. Horatio Spafford lost his entire family when a ship sunk. He went to that same place later on because he wasn't on board with them and wrote the song, It Is Well. Our strength is found in Jesus and it's found in our weakness. Jesus in his grace gives us strength in our times of weakness. So as we close today, I want to challenge you to put your focus on Jesus. Now is the time to take and dedicate time in your day to spend time with Him before you've put your feet on the ground to ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you that day, to dig into His Word every day. I would suggest first thing in the morning. If you have to be to work, or if you have to leave for work at 7, get up at 5.30. Give yourself time to study the Word of God. If you have to leave for work, when? Just give yourself extra time. I try to give myself two hours before I leave the house to make sure I have time with Him. Which this week meant I got up at 5 o'clock. Because I had to be somewhere. I had to leave by 7. I don't regret that. Yeah, it meant I went to bed a little bit earlier. Yeah, it meant I didn't sleep as late as I wanted to, but you know what? I got to spend time with Jesus. I got to focus on Him. He's the one that's in control. Is He control of your life? Let me pray with you today. Father, I pray that everyone watching this would put you first. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring conviction right now to draw us into your presence, to show us where we're missing it. Lord, I pray that it, your grace would show us how much you love us and how you want to extend that to us today. Lord, we're weak. We need your strength in our lives. We need your strength of the Holy Spirit to even take this step, to refocus our lives. We can't do it in our own strength. We need you, Jesus. I pray right now that you would fill everyone that's watching this and listening to this today with your Holy Spirit and your power. Let your blessing pour out on them. Father, that no matter what comes against them today, that they would rely on you. And Lord, I pray that every day that you would be their focus. Help us in this, Lord. Help us in our weakness. We give it over to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for watching with us this morning. We love you and we're on this journey with you. Have a great week.